Hey, Kev, let's let's follow this trail over here. This looks like there might be something waiting down there. All right. Hey, wait a minute. Do you hear that? Yeah, I thought it was just me. What the heck is that? I don't know what that is. Whoa, do you smell that, too? That's unbelievable. Hey, look. What the? Hey, look, those, those branches are moving over there. What the heck is that? Holy cow, is that what I think it is? Look at that thing. It, oh my god. It's a freaking Sasquatch. Welcome to the Bigfoot Terror in the Woods Sightings and Encounters podcast. I am your host, W.J. Sheehan. Hello, everybody, and welcome to my show. My name is W.J. Sheehan, author of the series of books entitled Bigfoot Terror in the Woods Sightings and Encounters, all nine volumes available at Amazon in ebook and paperback format. And if you're an audio buff, you can get volumes one through eight at Audible, iTunes, and Amazon as well. So please partake of some of these books that I've worked very hard on, and you'll make me very happy. Well, folks, today I am doing a solo gig once again, and I apologize ahead of time if my voice sounds a little weird. If you're new to the podcast, I've been talking about getting a new partial denture. Uh, that happened today, and uh, I'm kind of getting used to uh, talking with a new device in my mouth. <laughs> it's weird, man, really weird. And why am I solo today? Well, with everything going on with my wife, uh, my brother traveling around, work, and everything else, Kevin and I had planned to do a uh, a podcast last night. Uh, he's in Atlanta and was staying in a hotel by the airport. And uh, we got together late, and he said, there's so much noise here, and you're not even hearing the uh, jets yet. And uh, I was in total agreement. The background noise, uh, I don't even know how he slept over there or how you could uh, uh, make somebody pay for a room in those type, that type of environment. But uh, we decided not to do it. And uh, if we were going to pull it off today together, it would have been at midnight my time. And uh, I'm sitting here right now at 845 uh, midnight's a little bit much for me, <laughs> considering I got to uh, uh, hit the bricks uh, pretty early in the morning tomorrow. So here I am, and here you are. And I don't mind doing this periodically, because uh, uh, aside from my usual humorous side, which generally only works in, in a tandem setup or with a group, it gives me a chance to bare my soul to talk to you, the listening audience, one-on-one, uh, -on -one, so to speak. And uh, I enjoy doing it. It's a little different. It's a little weird. I'm used to chiming in with my brother, and I really miss him uh, when he's not with me. He is actually my brother. And, you know, generally we do the beginning of the show with uh, a segment called Cryptids 
in the news and other oddities. Uh, Today I'll be sharing with you a little something that just came over the phone line to me in the form of a report. And of course I'll dive into my usual report, but I wanted to address with you people uh, a couple of things. Firstly, how wonderful and how pleased I am with the caliber of people that are tuning into this podcast on a regular basis. Millions, millions tuning in on a regular basis. Uh, Some of you take the time to write in with me. Uh, Those that I've spoken to, which are many, 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 know who you are. I really appreciate you. And then there are others who seem to think it's their job to correct us, to correct me, to correct you into their way of thinking, apparently believing that I and you were born a fool, raised a fool, and maintained this foolish stature for the entire length of our days on this planet. I had one fellow one day begin his conversation with me, Uh, berating me for my uh, espousing to be a Catholic Christian and telling me that his IQ was 169 and that I had somehow lost my way. Uh, Then there were others who seem it's their lot in life to correct us on all things Bigfoot, uh, as though we can't see the forest through the trees, that we are continually being duped or led down some lonely trail in the uh, Olympic Peninsula, uh, that there are no such things, that there are no Bigfoot, that I never had any angelic encounters, that there are no UFOs flying around the earth, that we're all somehow lost in a malaise of ignorance. And to them, I just say, rubbish, one and all, rubbish. But rather than spend any time on that, I like to focus on those who tell me stories, those who I believe are telling me the truth. I have no reason not to believe them. And such was a lovely woman who contacted me today. By the way, BigfootTerrorInTheWoods.com, hit the contact button. If you've seen something, say something, as did Sarah today. I want to know what you've seen. I want the details. I want to know where you live, who you are. And then I can share them with others. If not, if nothing else, I can put them in my database and uh, continue marching forward, gathering data and sharing that data with you, the listening audience. Now, Sarah... uh, very interestingly, had what I would call a simple sighting. No rocks being threaded, uh, thrown at a shed, uh, no items missing from the yard, no bluff charges, no frightening attacks, no animals being missing, nothing of that sort. What I call a simple encounter, and I want to share a little bit uh, of that which she shared with me today. Now, This only happened maybe, uh, Sarah, if I muddle this a little bit, I'm just going by memory at this point. Uh, I believe Sarah said this happened like 2018, 2017. 
she was riding uh, in a over-the-road truck, uh, having left Louisiana, and initially she was uncertain where they were, maybe still in Louisiana or, or had entered an adjoining state, which I immediately thought might be Arkansas. Turns out it was. Uh, they were traveling over the road. It was about noon, a little afternoon, actually. And uh, she said in the distance, they were approaching what she described as a clear cut, and she named it as being such. Now, if you don't know what a clear cut is, it's a lane cut through the forest, typically by the state, the Forestry Service. Uh, I have learned from one of my listeners uh, in Canada that many times uh, clear cuts are done in a grid pattern. Uh, this also enables uh, a fire break of sorts, and it also allows for uh, fire crews to get in and move around uh, if there is a large inferno in a forest. But one of my uh, listeners, uh, who's an avid hunter, had also shared with me that many times the forestry service uh, in creating a clear cut, they do it to allow saplings and small trees to grow in there that the deer and other animals can then feed on, the leaves and whatnot. So I thought that was interesting. And I always have all these things working in my mind when somebody is sharing an encounter with me. So Sarah tells me she's approaching this clear cut in a truck, obviously sitting up in a K Whopper or a Peter Wagon. Uh, you got a good view out of the windshield that you're sitting way high off of the road. And she sees what she describes as being a blind in the edge of this clear cut, close to the side of the road. Now, that originally struck me as being kind of weird, like nobody I know would set up a blind near the side of a highway. I later postulated that based on what I had learned from my friend in Canada, uh, they may have set this blind up uh, as a viewing stand out over the cut where they could sit with binoculars and see at times what's coming into the cut to eat or graze. At any rate, I didn't know initially that it was a purpose-built wooden structure with a couple of stairs. When she said blind, I'm thinking of a little aluminum pole tent, you know, with the uh, screened windows on it in camo pattern. She's coming down the road, and in the midst of this grassy cut, she sees what she describes as a lower portion of a tree that appeared to be burnt, black, burnt stump. Now, I don't know if you were like me, but when we were kids, we would do these, uh, they'd give us these like cognitive recognition books uh, with things in it like, what doesn't belong in this picture? Uh, many of you, I am sure, have experienced the same thing when you were youths. And right off the bat, she and I uh, had said to ourselves, and she, of course, to herself driving in the truck, 
what is this burnt stump doing in a clear cut? It certainly didn't get burned after the clear cut was there because the tree wouldn't be there. And so the question, why is this even there? Well, it wasn't a stump. As they move closer in the truck, she realizes this thing's starting to move. And she could see the opening between its legs, the grass uh, being up to like the knees. And this thing walked across the field, the cut, disappearing into, into the woods. Now, there's a little bit more to it than that, but suffice to say, that was her sighting. When she got up the road a little bit further, she saw a sign. It said, Folk, one mile. And she said, where do I know that name from? What is Folk, 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 Folk? Well, the Folk Monster. One of the most elaborate and uh, well-known uh, Bigfoot sightings uh, to date. Of course, down there they call it the folk monster. Like up north, they call it the Ohio Howler, Sasquatch, Bigfoot, Momo, uh, Swamp Ape. You know, whatever the 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 flavor of the day is. And she realized that wow, you know, maybe I just saw the folk monster. And. Uh, very interesting indeed. I have no reason to believe that Sarah did not see what she said she saw. Now, you could take the negative side and believe that everybody is full of a lot of hokum, but I don't espouse to that. I talk to a lot of really good people, people of all walks of life that are telling me their stories, and really my gut tells me they're telling me the truth. Why would you lie? Sarah has no axe to grind with me. Uh, she seemed like a very nice and amiable woman, sharing her story out of sheer joy and excitement for the subject matter. And so there it is. I mean, I wanted to share it with you as Sarah gave it to me. Uh, and again, if you've seen something, say something. Call me. I don't bite. I talk to a lot of people, good and bad. I talk to critics, and I talk to those who are sincere in what they believed as well. I kind of take it from both sides. Uh, I prefer to talk to those of you who have had sightings and are sincere about it, but I do occasionally engage uh, others as well who feel that I need some correction on my course, if you will. Now, I have something really interesting to share with you here, as I always try to share uh, points of interest with you in the form of uh, Bigfoot encounters or whatever other encounter I may have in my hands. And this was shared with me by Two fellas, Dave Sorensen and Mike Ruddick, who were heading off to Jasper National Park in the summer of 1987. Both of these men were Ironman competitors and had traveled to the park from the Pittsburgh area of the United States. Now, Jasper is in Canada, if you don't know. Since they were competitive swimmers, runners, and bikers, their friendship had evolved into taking hiking trips together annually. 
this was one of those trips. Dave and Mike were both present for my interview. And so from here on out, it will be the two of them telling their story. Mike and I like to pick unusual rural places for our annual hikes. We're not necessarily looking for the greatest physical challenge, but we don't shy away from that either. For this trip, we picked the largest national park in the Canadian Rockies. And no matter how you slice it, this place is wild country. Within its borders, the park has some of the most beautiful rivers and snow-capped mountains that you'll ever set eyes on, as well as the most gorgeous lakes that you will ever see, surrounded by alpine meadow areas, which I thought only existed in Switzerland. Additionally, the park is home to an abundance of wildlife, including bears, moose, and elk. One of the things that attracted us to this area was that you can actually stay in the town of Jasper. From Jasper, you could drive into many access areas of the park, with there being over 600 miles of trails within the park's boundaries. And I was told that most of them had started off as game trails. For our trip, we flew into Calgary International Airport and rented a car, with the transition being sweet and easy. There are a number of lodging accommodations located within the vicinity of the park, as well as horse outfitters and guide services for those who are interested in such things. It's quite a nice and well-thought-out operation, but that does not diminish the wildness of the country. Once you get deep into the park, the human footprint is scarcely present. On our first day in town, we wasted no time. We had seen a tram going up a mountainside and decided to check it out. The, the Jasper Tramway, as it's called, takes you up the side of Whistler Mountain, up to an elevation of about 7,500 feet. It's about a 10-minute ride, which is incredible to say the least. And at the top, there are boardwalks. Uh, I mean, I lost my trail. Uh, there are boardwalks and trails to walk on and have a look around. A tour guide told us that we were seeing six other mountain ranges, as well as the Athabasca River and some glacial lakes. It was an out-of-the-world experience, and I highly recommend it. For our first day's hike, we selected the Great Divide Trail. It was categorized as hard, which is fine for us. That day, there were some low-level wispy clouds which were floating over the valley with snow-covered mountain peaks visible in every direction that you turned. It would be very difficult to get lost here because the mountains are always in view and alongside of you serving as tremendous landmarks. The lake itself is about 14 or 15 miles long and there are trails that follow its entire length on both sides. 
we decided to begin on a trail that hugged the side of the lake before meandering out into a heavily forested area. We were going to head southeast from our starting point and then stop to eat before turning around and making our way back out. As I said earlier, this is wild country. So the trail was a little little more than animal footpaths and at times the terrain was very rough and rocky, making the hike extremely arduous. We like to familiarize ourselves with the terrain before we hike, which is exactly why many novice hikers get into trouble. They, by not surveying the trail first, end up biting off more than they can chew when it comes to selecting a day's hike. Our first day's hike lasted about six or seven hours, and believe me, it was quite a workout to complete. After spending a relaxing night in town conversing with some of the locals and chowing down, we made our plans for the next day. We decided to begin in the same area, but this time we would take a slightly more westerly approach. It looked like deeply timbered and rocky terrain lay in that direction, which, of course, would push our limits physically. We set out early the next day, making sure to carry two compasses like we always do. It gave us a backup in case something happened. We always try to keep track of landmarks and surroundings as we hike, which can be very difficult in heavily forested areas, which is also how people get lost in the woods. On this particular day, we were passing through large stands of spruce and fir trees, so it was relatively easy to keep our bearings as we moved along. We were about two hours into the hike when we entered yet another stand of trees. This stand, however, was fairly dense since all the trees had grown relatively close together. You couldn't see clearly for any great distance, but at times there were clear lanes for a couple of hundred feet through the trees. As we were approaching one such area, I waved to my partner, asking him to stop and be quiet. I had seen something large and reddish-brown moving amidst the trees, and my first thought was that it had to be a grizzly bear. As we now stood there, I pulled my field glasses up to my eyes, moving slowly so as not to provoke whatever it was. And it wasn't a bear at all. The beast that I was seeing stood straddling a large felled tree. Bears don't do that. Just as I was coming to grips with the reality of what I was seeing, Mike shouted, Go, bear, go! What a mistake. Of course, he couldn't see what I was looking at through the binoculars. And in one fluid movement, the beast that was straddling the log jumped up and turned towards us. It took about two quick steps. Flexing its body, it lifted its head into the air like a wolf and unleashed an earth-shattering scream. For a moment, it paused, stood looking directly at us and grunted. After several long seconds, it reached down, 
grabbed a piece of tree limb and hurled it towards us, which was followed by yet another blood-curdling howl. The sound was so powerful that it sent reverberations through my body. I thought to myself that surely the entire park must have heard it. At that moment, I realized the futility of carrying bear spray. There was no way that I would want this thing to get even close enough to me for the spray to have a chance at being effective. If I had a gun, I would have already been shooting at it. This was neither a man nor a bear. It was a monster. I could see Mike's hand shaking. I wasn't the only one terrified of the beast before us. This monster was well over 10 feet tall, and I might even go so far as to say that it was almost 14 feet tall. We have been close to bull elk, and in Yellowstone we were not far from large grazing buffalo. But this thing must have easily been larger than those. It started rolling its head around like a weightlifter trying to get loose while swiping its arms back and forth in the air. And every few seconds, it would let out a loud grunt or growl. Then, as if things couldn't get any worse, the beast took about three or four more rapid steps towards us before stopping to snarl at us which to me was an intimidation move. He wanted to show us that he was the boss. Now, my own chest size is a 52. I wear a 2X in everything I buy. This monster's chest must have been a 200X. It looked like a living bulldozer with gigantic hands, arms, and legs. And the speed with which it was able to move during the short bursts told me that if it was really going to charge us, it would have already been on top of us. That's how fast it moved. Suddenly, in distance, we heard another howling noise which seemed to get this creature's attention. It was prolonged and loud. After this distant howl faded, the beast turned his attention back to us. It grimaced, showing us its teeth, before slowly turning and walking away. As it did so, it craned its neck backward, looking at us several times before disappearing into the trees. The two of us dropped our packs and sat down. I felt like every ounce of energy had left my body and we were in shock. We must have been holding our breath during the encounter because we were both breathing heavily and panting, fighting actually to catch our breath. A little while later, we walked over to where it had been sitting or straddling, shall I say. The area reeked of crap and we could see that the beast had been digging in the rotten log. Fat white larvae occupied the decaying bark, and there were a couple of large leaves from some type of plant lying next to the log, 
with a bunch of these larvae lying on top of them. It looked like a dinner plate. This thing must have been gathering food when we interrupted, so it's no wonder it was pissed off. There were a few large prints around the area, and the impressions were very deep. I put my forefinger into one, and it was so deep that it reached my middle knuckle. And these prints were more than double the length and width of my own hiking boots. Mike and I had been on many hikes together around North America. We had seen and experienced a great deal of wildlife, and we had both heard many of the stories of Bigfoot and had talked about them often. Both of us had possessed the mindset that we would believe it when we see it. Well, now we were believers because we had just seen it. We never again went into the woods without a gun. Now, at this point, I asked Dave to expound on any descriptive details of the creature, which he may have left out, and this is what he said to me. Thinking back on what I said about the log smelling like crap when it was walking away, you could see that the fur on its butt was all crusted and matted together. There was a lot of something sticking to the fur. From the side view, the creature must have been three feet thick, and I would say from shoulder to shoulder, it easily spanned six feet six feet on the outside edges. Its muscles were like nothing you have ever seen on this earth, exponentially larger than a human's. What I mean to say is that there's no chart to measure these things. It's like saying an oak tree is its arm and the twig is mine. The creature was absolutely ridiculous in dimensions and proportions. It looked so strong that it could probably pull over a rooted tree. When it grimaced at us, I could actually see little fangs, not like a tiger's, but longer than the rest of the teeth in its mouth. To me, that says that this thing eats meat. And thank God we weren't its next feast. Its hair was long and scraggly, unlike normal animal fur, and its jaw protruded from its face. The mouth area was massive when it howled. You could have put a cantaloupe in there with no problem whatsoever. You could see some of its body through the hair, which made me wonder how they stay warm in the winter. As you know, when the weather gets colder, an animal's fur typically thickens. But who's to say how these beasts were created? They are a complete and utter enigma to mankind. Now, there's a wise man, my friends, right? A complete and utter enigma to mankind. He's not touching it. He's not guessing about it. He simply sees what he sees, and doesn't understand what he doesn't understand. He's not claiming expertise just because he's seen one. And by the way, when we speak of expertise, I'd really like to know who decided that Bigfoot is a nocturnal creature. 
I'd have to say, having not counted them, that the majority, the vast majority of Bigfoot sightings um, that I've heard to date, including the one I just shared with you briefly from Sarah, happen during daylight hours, after sunrise, before sunset, and anywhere in between, including the busiest, most sunny parts of the day uh, around the world. So where the purported experts uh, get the info that they need to march around with flashlights and night vision, heck, if I was going to look for Bigfoot, I'd be marching around during the day like uh, Patterson and Gimlin were on horseback when they took the Patty film. Poor daylight in the woods, stomping around, uh, in the Pacific Northwest. Anyways, that's the story. I don't know about you. I'd be frightened to death if I had this encounter. And here again is a guy saying a can of bear spray would do you no good. So kind of wise up when it comes to that. Bear spray doesn't necessarily work on bears, and it certainly doesn't work on Bigfoot. And he was wise enough to say, if this thing had been close enough, it probably wouldn't have been an effective mode of deterrent, <laughs> if you catch my drift. So there you have it. Another excellent account from a couple of iron men in Jasper National Park up in Canada. And a big hello to all of our listeners up in Canada. And I know there are many, many, many of you A big shout-out to all of you, and I hope to hear from you soon. And I'm going to hit just a couple of brief listener mails here, as is our custom. Uh, Cutting it a little short for tonight, because I'm not with my brother. And uh, I have something here from Shannon, who actually is in my brother's neighborhood somewhere, Raleigh, North Carolina. And Shannon writes, the subject being Goatman. Message. Bill, Kevin, I love the show. I've been listening for years. I've been listening for years. I guess she left out a word here because I think she meant to say, years ago, I had a Bigfoot sighting I had. Now, this is a little screwy. I love the show. I've been listening for years ago about a Bigfoot sighting I had. Make of that what you will. (laughs) Your podcast was a godsend uh, when I was pregnant and as uncomfortable as I was. I was watching a TV show, (coughs) excuse me, and it talked about Goatman. Oh, I know what's wrong with this thing. I cut it off in the printing. I'm sorry about that. <laughs> I'm looking at just like, what is this mess here? It got trimmed off when it came out of my printer. So uh, several words on the ends of either uh, of three or four lines are clipped off. But anyway, let me let me go to it this way, or go about it this way. Uh, Shannon is obviously asking us about the subject of goat man and asking us what we think about it. Uh, Shannon, I don't know a heck of a lot about Goatman. To date, I don't believe I've had one encounter uh, from anybody ascribed to the sighting of a Goatman. Some time ago, I had 
seen some show where they were purporting Goatman to be around uh, West Virginia or somewhere in the Southland. Uh, but I don't know anybody uh, that has seen a goat man or purported to have seen a goat man. So if you're out there and you'd like to share with us so that we could then share with uh, Shannon and everybody else that's listening, uh, if you've seen a goat man or know anything about them, certainly contact us at BigfootTerrorInTheWoods.com. Hit the contact button and let us know what you've seen or heard and we'll follow, follow up on it. But Shannon, again, uh, sorry for botching up your email by trimming it off. <laughs> but such is life. <laughs> Must be my dentures. My new denture impinging my brain function. And here I got something from uh, William. I'll call him Bill. Subject, your books. Uh, He says he's been an over-the-road trucker for 32 years. I'm enjoying your books, volume two and counting. And folks, listen, when I ask you to buy my books, I said this before and I'll say it again. It's an indicator to me of the appreciation of the audience for the time and the effort and the labor that I put into these things. Uh, and the putting together of the podcast and the time spent doing this, that, and the other thing. I don't do it looking for a reward, but it tells me, like the many school teachers that have contacted me that now have my books in the library of the schools, the kids love to read them. And I want you to love to read them and show some support for me uh, and the podcast uh, by going out periodically, getting a book, give it as a gift, buy an audio book, listen to it while you're riding your bike, mowing the lawn, uh, whatever you're doing. And it shows me that people are generally interested uh, by going the extra mile to drop 10 or 12 bucks. Uh, Listen, folks, one of my coworkers took her kids out bowling the other day. They played two games and bought some beverages. It was over $100, $120, I think she said. So, if you think dropping uh, ten, fifteen dollars on a book is a lot of money, then uh, <laughs> I don't know what to say about it. But uh, you'd be doing me a favor and uh, showing your support for what I'm doing as well. Anyways, that's going to be a wrap for today, folks. And remember, if you are an Iron Man or woman, or not. And you find yourself walking through Jasper National Park. You best remember one thing, my friends. Always carry more gun than you think you're going to need. Take care.